0: Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I have been patiently waiting to interview my guest today. I'm excited about the topics that excite her to get up in the morning, what she loves to execute with her strategy and her expertise. And I also love that when I asked her what she thought about heart-centered leadership, she thought about three words, servant, mentor, and development. And I couldn't think of a better equation. So Beverly Hathorne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Deb.
1: I'm very excited to be here today. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's my pleasure. I always uh, get excited. There's lots of people that request to be on the show and we're we're trying to get as many heart-centered leaders on the podcast as we can. And we changed things up this year for season three because- I think part of being a heart-centered leader is is really enjoying and talking about our own leadership journey. So would you share with our listeners, which we're proud to say is in 65 countries, a little bit about you and your background? Okay, sure, I'd be happy to. Well, uh, I am Beverly Hathorne and I am
1: owner of Strategic HR Consultants. I am retired from AT&T And I am a customer service person to the nth power. Customer service is what I enjoy. Training customer service employees and building those processes and systems are are what I do. And helping people to show up as their professional best at their job. So I started in uh, customer service years ago as a bank teller. And as you can imagine, that uh, arena required not only attention to detail, but also a certain soft skill to talk to customers, particularly when you're not allowing a customer to do what they planned to do when they came to the bank. So I moved around through the bank for a while, and then I kind of landed in both federal and state government positions. And my last uh, position was 25 years at AT AT&T. And I started at AT AT&T as a customer service representative, promoted to first level manager, promoted to project management, received my project management certification. There I led initiatives to improve the customer satisfaction for the organization. I delivered um, quality control systems, uh, training for customer satisfaction Employees, and I even led a business process outsourcing when we uh, brought on a contractor to help manage some of our customer service processes. So I did that for quite a few years, and then I moved on to labor relations, where I got another view of employees and customer satisfaction because then my customers were internal, and I got a total uh, different view of uh, how our employees wish to be treated and how the company wishes to honor that. So I kind of grew in that. And when I retired, I thought, well, with all this customer service background, it'd be a good idea to start my business now. And that's what I do. So at Strategic HR Consultants, we do the typical HR work. My primary focus is in performance development. Specifically, performance development and improvement in the customer care arenas, contact centers, call centers, working with the customer service managers and such. So my dream is that we'll have customer service employees who enjoy coming to work because escalations are low and and their customer set numbers are high and managers are happy because their team is engaged and performing and customers are just thrilled to death. And everybody's happy. That's, that's my dream. So that's what I'm working toward. I might be a visionary, but that's what I'm working toward.
0: Well, you know what? You're, you're talking to another visionary and I, I'd love that you took the culmination of all of your. Work experience, education, and retired and thought, maybe I should go offer all this richness to the world. So good for you. I, i'm I'm so excited to talk to you, and I know this is going to be a, a rich conversation. So I know that you have shared with me that you feel that organizational culture greatly impacts employee engagement and growth, and that culture is what gives us the best of our people. Explain to me how you developed this sense and maybe share with us an example because I know in the work that I do as an executive and leadership coach, this is something that comes up quite often. Uh And I would love for you to share your brilliance with us. Thank you so much for that question,
1: Deb. So I believe that the organization... We all know that leadership determines culture. You know, we're, we're all aware of that aspect. And I think that an organization that promotes openness, collaboration, psychological safety, uh, autonomy, flexibility, an organization that promotes those things, and there are others, will have a higher level of employee engagement. Employees will feel open to speak their ideas, their thoughts. They're comfortable coming to calls, and now virtually, they're comfortable coming to the computer screen, for lack of a better word, and telling you what they think, what they see. Well, I'm wondering if maybe we should do it this way, or, you know, I was watching this and I noticed that the customers are responding in this manner. So when you allow that, You allow your employees to do what they do best, which is to tell you what they're seeing in the customer contacts and to tell you what they're learning and experiencing through the training you've delivered. So I don't know that um, it would be good to not allow such a culture. I think there's growth and there's development in that culture and that's where you bring the best in people, that's where you bring up leaders, that's where you bring up people who are promoted and who can benefit the organization even more, and thereby their personal development benefits them. So I think it's definitely worthwhile for organizations to consider their culture. And if you're experiencing a lot of quiet quitting or employee disengagement, or we all know about the great resignation, if you're experiencing that, maybe taking a look at your culture not necessarily your pay or your benefits those things could impact it too but let's take a look at your culture and see how people feel about working there
0: well that's great advice and and you've touched on a couple of things but i i'm going to wait cuz i I've, I've got further questions coming on them so we're very aligned in our in our conversation here my my second question is a fun question it has permanent residency on the show what imperfections does Beverly bring to her heart-centered leadership? I'm—I don't want to say a softy, but I definitely
1: have a personable, open relationship with the people that I lead, in that I want to have conversations with you. I want to talk to you about your plans and your dreams and how I can help you get there. And I want you to feel that I'm approachable. I want to feel approachable to my team. Sometimes that does not go over well with upper leadership. So uh, unfortunately, it's difficult for me to reel that back in because that's my personality. And I know that there are some people, I call them our hidden gems. Basically, there may be introverts on your team who have a lot of knowledge, have a lot of skill, but again, because of your culture, they don't feel open to express that knowledge and, and those skills. So I want to be able to draw those people out as well. And so I guess my imperfection would be maybe I'm you know, not as number-focused as I am people-focused.
0: Well, to me, you sound like a heart-centered theater.
1: Thank you so much, Deb. That means a lot.
0: (laughs) And I, you know, you mentioned introverts and extroverts, and it's funny because I did a post on LinkedIn about this today. Like, can we just get rid of the labels? Because our sector doesn't matter. We are all in the people business, uh-huh. And you're right. The introverts are hidden gems. I always say to my executives and C-suites, who's not talking in your meetings? Who who used to talk and is no longer talking? So such there's there's such great wisdom just in 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 that comment alone. So I think you're heart-centered, so you just keep going.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. So You know, when we talk about uh, the introverts, and you're right, that's a label. I just call them our hidden gems. We value all our employees. All our employees have something to offer. And it's just up to leadership to draw that out and determine what that is. And you asked me earlier uh, for an experience, and I can tell you that I'm a very... Uh, outgoing person. I like talking to people and I like meeting people. However, I can be just as comfortable working alone. So I guess I kind of walk on that middle line midways. I can be just as comfortable working alone. However, there was an occasion where I was in an organization that did not value my skill and my knowledge. They had their favorites. You know, there's no other way of of saying that. They had their favorites and, and I'm not griping. I didn't feel, you know, put out or anything about it. I understood that because I've been working a long time. And so I understood that. However, I did notice that in that organization, I started to shrink. I really started to shrink. I wasn't growing I wasn't developing, I wasn't learning new skills and all of those are things that I live for and I wasn't getting any of that. And I just kind of got stifled, which says a lot for me, it's not easy to stifle me. So (laughs) I just kind of got stifled and that's, you know, kind of helped me form my leadership uh, persona.
0: It makes me think of uh, one of my mentors that, convinced me to start my own company at 24. And I I talk about this in my upcoming book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, which will be out in September. He said, your light is so bright that some people can't handle it and they're going to dim it. And every time you think you you should dim it or you feel like you want to dim it, I need you to make it brighter. Mm, very good advice. Absolutely. So I, I validate and align with you on that, on that story because I've been in a similar situation. And I think now you might even have, you know, kind of more experience valuing that, seeing that, observing that now that you're an entrepreneur and you might have a different lens because you, you're running your company.
1: Yes. Yes. And I, and I use the same phrases that you used earlier, you know, I ask uh companies and organizations and leaders, who is the quiet ones that's you know i you know who who's the most quiet who's who's taking all the notes in your meetings, and you know that's the person we need to ask them, so hey, what do you think you know or you know what are you working on over there? That's the person that you might need to get, and particularly if you notice any quiet quitting as they term it now, but those are people who just kind of sit back, who used to be very active at one time, but now they just kind of sit back and, you know, something has happened. And once we put the person or the human component back in leadership, you'll be able to find those things because if the The quiet person is still hitting their numbers and still producing in a way that you want them to produce or in in a way that the organizational metrics say they should be producing. You'll never know what's going on with them because you'll never take a moment to talk to them and sit with them and get to know them and let them get to know you. So I, I think that's a big mistake that organizations make sometimes is leaning more towards the numbers and, you know, which is a good thing. We, we want to make the metrics and they're there for a reason. We want to make them. But just making them is not indicative of your employee skill or knowledge or ability.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? There's plenty of room within business acumen for heart-centered leadership. I agree. So my third question is, I've never liked the term HR human resources. (laughs) And in Canada, I know there's other words, and I'm sure in the U.S. the same. I'm seeing Uh a lot of talent management. I've seen the HR profession, you know, now have CHRO. We've got VPs of people and culture popping up. What do you think was the transition or the migration of kind of leaving the term HR? And why do you think we have this open field now of all this new languaging? Well, I think HR kind of denotes terminations
1: and uh, (laughs) uh, write-ups and disciplinary action. And, you know, I think it did not have a good connotation for people. And so that's why we kind of moved away from that frozen term, as I call it. That's one of the reasons I named my company Strategic HR Consultants. That's just not by happenstance. It's because I want to be a strategic business partner, uh, not just helping you write your job descriptions or, you know, helping you compose your benefit plans or your handbooks. I want to be a strategic partner and helping my clients overall to produce at the level that the organization is capable of. And there's many ways as an HR consultant that I can help you with that. And as I said earlier, I'm I'm mostly a performance development, performance improvement person. And that is not specifically what HR has been known for in the past. But We have all these different titles to answer your question. We've got all these different positions because we kind of broke it up a little bit to make it more strategic for the business to be more of a business partner as opposed to just somebody over to the side hiring and writing job descriptions, et cetera.
0: And, And it's interesting to hear your perspective because a lot of people do Associate or align HR with all the negative connotations or procedures or protocols. And Uh it's just interesting that all these new terms and languaging are are kind of it's still the same, but it's just it's got it's got a different icing on the top now. So very interesting. It does. Now you talked about my last questions around quiet quitting and the great resignation. And we've talked about this before on the show. I don't think it's new because I remember this from five to seven years ago. It was happening. Do you think that the pandemic has just allowed us to slow down, reflect, analyze, and really notice what's going on? Or do you think it's some other kind of methodology? I'd I'd love to get your thoughts on it because everyone's talking about it now. And I sit here and I think, but this isn't new. It's not
1: new. As a matter of fact, years ago, we used to call it R.I.P., Uh, you know, similar to rest in peace. We used to call it retired in place, you know, when employees just kind of sit down and they just, you know, they come in at eight, they leave at five and. What you get in between is just the bare bones of what they do to keep their job. and But those, again, are employees who at some level have become dissatisfied. And once again, I suggest that culture could be the culprit. Uh, it's, it's not new. The great resignation, I think with COVID, a lot of people discovered that they could do other things. And I think a lot of people discovered that Maybe it was revealed that I actually can work from home and do my job just as well as I did in the office. And companies can build an infrastructure to support employees on that. So, okay. You know, so I think people then got different ideas about working and working a job. And of course, there was a lot of creativity that came from COVID. People started to make masks and create home um, food delivery type things. And to, you know, we got a lot of creativity out of it. So not in any sense of the word am I saying that COVID, you know, that whole thing was a good thing. I'm just saying that people evolved around it and started to learn new things and to do new things and what i really like about it was most of what came out of that most of our um innovation that came out of that was to support other people which i'm a big proponent of so uh, you know i think i think that's kind of what happened i think people kind of realized i can start my own business or you know i can work from anywhere i can do this job from anywhere and I would like my employer to support me in that. And just a lot of innovation and creativity came about during that period.
0: Oh, we are we are so aligned and I couldn't agree more with you. Okay, I'm going to switch to my my fab four. These are just four fun questions. We want to know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. <laughs> First question. If I asked your family, your friends, your clients to describe Beverly in one word, what would it be? Let's say dedicated. I love that. Let's
1: say dedicated. Yes.
0: That doesn't surprise me. In in the short time (laughs) we've been together, that doesn't surprise me. Thank you. Okay. Second question, just to give you some context before I ask, this can be at any time in your life, any juncture. Name a book that was really impactful in your life and for you, and could you share the name of the book and the author if you remember, and, and why did it impact you?
1: Okay, that's a great question. I've read, I'm a reader, so I've read a lot of books, and uh, here lately I enjoy audiobooks, which my husband reminds me is like back to the radio days when you would sit around in front of the radio and listen to TV before TV was TV. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I hadn't really thought of it like that. But uh, I read a book many, many, many moons ago when I was a teenager and it was called A Woman of Substance. It was by Barbara Taylor Bradford. And this was a rags to riches, strong woman prevails type story. And it made such an impact on me because I realized what is possible when you get put your nose down and when you really get to it, that there is, there's abilities and capabilities and skills and knowledge and All sorts of things inside, we have but to let them materialize. And in order to do that, you got to experience some things so that they manifest. And I just, that book was just so impactful to me. I've read a lot of books that stuck with me and that helped me make change and helped me transform But I think that one was maybe because it was the first one that I really saw that and saw myself in. But that one really has stuck with me. And then they made a movie. I was so excited. But, you know, the movie's never as good as the book, unfortunately. But they made a movie out of it. I was so excited to see the movie. But, yeah, definitely A Woman of Substance by Barbara Taylor Bradford.
0: Okay. I love that. Okay. Third question. I'm granting you a wish, and you get to have dinner with any leader that you would just love to have dinner with. The leader could be living, or the leader could have been already passed away. Who are you having dinner with, and what is the dinner conversation?
1: Well, that's a really good question. Um, Let's see, there's so many people that I would want to have dinner with. I would say it would probably be a political leader. Maybe someone like, I would probably like to talk to someone like Jimmy Carter. I'd probably like to talk to somebody like Jimmy Carter because as a leader, we all know that he's very personable. He spent a lot of his later Years, uh, he he never quit. He never quit. He always kept going. He spent a lot of time with Habitat for Humanity, helping people build homes. His whole persona surrounds helping people and what he can give of himself to make things better. So, I would just like to hear some of his experiences, some of his stories. I'm sure he's got some funny stories. You know and and some of the struggles in giving so much of himself, and you know what that may have cost him along the way,
0: yeah, I love that, okay, so before we close out the show with my last question, I just want to say it was just so lovely to meet you, and I was excited that you wanted to be on the show, and I think all of your current clients and and future clients to come are in good hands with you with everything that you've done in your leadership journey and all the rich experience that you packed up and brought from AT&T. So just a delight to spend time with you today.
1: Thank you so much, Deb, and you as well. And I, I love the title of your show, The Heart-Centered Leader.
0: That's just so perfect. <laughs> it's it's, it's so perfect. imperfect and perfect at the same time. Yes, yes. All right, yes. I'm going to have you finish the last question. Finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is?
1: That's pretty easy, I think. Leading from the heart. Just remember, we're dealing with people and treat people how you would want to be treated and understand that your job as a leader is to grow and nurture and foster development. So heart-centered leadership to me means leading from the heart
0: Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new tools for your leadership from our amazing heart-centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. If you want some more heart-centered goodness, head over to our daily blog, MasteringTheHeart.com.